Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Very happy to be with you today and thank you for tuning in. We are inviting to stay with us for the whole hour because this will be a very interesting discussion. Good Bible study. Free to rest. And I hope that you will find rest in studying together with us the Word of God. I'd like to introduce our panel and I will say, hi, Will. How are you today? Good to be part of the panel again, Nick, and uh, surrounded, surrounding the Word of God. Good place to be. Thank you. And Len, good to have you with us. Thank you, Nick. And hello, listeners. Lydia, thank you for joining also. Very glad to be part of the Bible study. And Ken, thank you for being part of this panel. Always a pleasure, Nick, to be here. Joe, good to have you with us. Delighted to be here, Nick. And Brenton, thank you for joining us and preparing this Bible study for today. My pleasure, um, Nick. The sun is shining and the sky is blue down here at Mount Gambier, and we're looking forward to sharing the Word of God with our listeners today. And the good news of the Bible to shine in our hearts, too. All right, Brenton, I would like to just uh, hand it over to you and please uh, take us through. Thank you, Nick. In our last study, uh, we examined Joseph's response to meeting his brothers after becoming Prime Minister of Egypt and his forgiveness of them, which enabled both reconciliation and ultimately rest for the whole family. But really, in our study today, we're going to be looking at two very, very different people. This study focuses on two people. Isn't it unfortunate, Nick, that uh, sometimes uh, some of the key people in the Bible aren't given names? <laughs> mm. This person is simply called the paralytic. The other one we do know. His name is Elijah, who was a prophet. And we will discuss God's solutions to a chronically ill man, namely the paralytic, and a despondent and discouraged prophet who just wanted to die. Maybe some of our listeners have felt that way themselves at times. In doing so, we can see God has made provision for all situations if we will but trust him completely and entirely. Joe, I would love you to offer prayer for us as a panel as we share this Bible study together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will be present with us as we open your word, send your Holy Spirit to enlighten our minds and anyone who listens to this study. You are a loving and patient father who loves his children, Yes. even when we sometimes disappoint. And when we do, Lord, please restore us with your loving kindness. Draw us ever closer to you and give us faith in your word and power. Help us to learn from the examples to be discussed and a desire to know more about you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Joe. The first person we're going to look at today is the paralytic. And um, it's interesting as you study both the Synoptic Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark and Luke, and also the book of John, there are not many times when Jesus performed miracles where he actually uttered the words that Len's about to read to us. But I want you to picture the scene before Len takes us through Mark 2, verses 1 to 12. Picture the scene that I've put, Jesus in Simon Peter's house. And for those who are listening, I've actually been to what is alleged to be Simon Peter's house. And looking at the house, I would reckon you'd be struggling to get 30 or 40 people in it. So uh, how many people were present on this occasion, we don't know. 
Anyway, he was surrounded by people from all the region and spies, the word of God says, sent by the leaders of the Jews from Jerusalem, Judea and Galilee, and all there for one purpose, to find something which they could accuse him of and destroy his rapidly developing reputation with the people. A paralyzed man is lowered through the roof for Jesus to heal him. The reason for that is simply because there were too many people in the house. They were unable to make an entrance. So therefore, at his suggestion, they took the tiles off the roof and lowered him through the hole in the roof in front of Jesus. And the scriptural account, Len is going to share it with us now and uh, answer a few questions on it. Thank you, Len. All right, I'm reading from Mark chapter 2, the first 12 verses. It says this, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered there that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Ah, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? or to say, get up, take your mat and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Any comments on that one, uh, Len? The first question that probably would come to my mind <laughs> is why did Jesus forgive his sins first rather than healing him? I wonder if you could comment on that. Have you thought of why it was done in the particular order that it was done? Well, I think there are three answers to that question. Mm-hmm. Right. I want to share each of them with you. First of all, back in those times, When somebody was crippled or had some serious illness or infirmity, the people regarded that as evidence that that person had committed grievous sins in their life. Yes. And that these ailments, I should say, were really the curse of God. So sitting in this group, as I read to you before, were these teachers of the law the spies who were looking for some hiccup whereby they could accuse Jesus. And they believed this too. When Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you, or son, your sins are forgiven you, this kind of put the wrong perception that they had about sin into um, perspective. Now, that's the first thing. Yes. The thing is this. It's quite likely this man had not heard the words of life 
coming from Jesus. And here was probably his first opportunity. It says his friends had faith, but it doesn't say anything about this man having faith. So in this case, the response of Jesus was to the faith of the friends. Now, I want to say this. If a person is an alcoholic and they have cirrhosis, uh, cirrhosis of the liver, what is the point of healing the cirrhosis if that person just goes on drinking, drinking, drinking? He's going to get it again. So the, the cure for the problem is forgiveness. And in this case, that this man, I think, well, how could he go lame again? I don't know. But it's pointless to cure somebody and they fall back into their old ways or they never actually change. There's a third point I want to share with you, and this is very important. Who was Jesus? In this particular passage, he called himself the Son of Man, but he's Mm -hmm. also the Son of God. He is fully God and fully man. Now, some people say, well, how can that be? Surely you'd have to be half and half, but that's not right. You see, I am a son. I was born to my parents. I'm a son. I can't change that. I'm always a son, but I have three children of my own. So I'm also a father. I can't change that. It's happened. I am fully a father and I'm fully a son. And Jesus, in this particular case, was demonstrating his divinity. I want to read a passage written by that very famous religious writer, Ellen White. And this is what she says. Not only was Jesus God himself, but he also became man. Mm -hmm. Theologically speaking, he did not become God and man or God in man, but God man, just like I could call myself father and son. Divinity was not laid off when he accepted humanity. Neither did his human nature change into the divine nature of God. Instead, the two natures were mysteriously blended in one person. Good point, Len. Mm. It's hard to understand, but just as I am father, I'm also son, Jesus was God and also man. So in doing this, in forgiving his sins first, he showed that he was indeed God. Thank you, Len. Lydia, did you have a comment? A lesson for me, for myself, from this situation. Yeah. When these friends, four friends, brought the paralytic to Jesus, they were determined to bring him to be healed. And as we can see, there is not described in the Bible the paralytic faith, but these friends, they were determined for him to be healed because they knew that Jesus is the only one to heal. When I see that some people need help, I can help them, bringing them to Jesus. First of all, through my intercessory prayer, which is very important. And the Holy Spirit is there to work in their hearts to bring light and to show their situation in which they are. 
to show them that they need a savior. They need Jesus. And Jesus is healing them from inside out. First of all, in their inner part of their heart. And the healing starts from there, from the heart, spiritually to physically. So yeah. my part is to pray for them. Intercessory prayer is very important. Yeah, uh, Len brought up a point, Nick, before I come to you. Um, Len brought up an interesting point that the faith of the four who carried him to Jesus is clearly evident. I think in the same book you will actually find a desire of ages that the man himself gave them directions to take the tiles off the roof and lower him in the presence of Jesus. So I'm uh, I'm happy with either explanation, but I'm happy to realise that they believed two things. They believed that this man, Jesus, could heal their friend. And number two, for him to say, your sins are forgiven you, it might have caught them by surprise, but it shouldn't have totally surprised them because he, the order in which he did it, your sins are forgiven, and then rise up and walk is a very important order. Nick, did you have a further comment on that? Yeah, I just want to add um, on uh, what Lee just said and also what uh, sure. Len was yeah. mentioning a bit earlier. In regard to these friends of the paralytic, because these four people, they didn't have any prejudgmental attitude True. towards True. this yes. man. As the other people had and asking those questions, why is he sick? Who sinned? him or his parents and so on and so forth. I think it's a good lesson for us to take today that we need to provide or to help or to engage with those people who are in need of Jesus to be touched physically and spiritually and not to start to ask those questions when we look from exterior to the person because easily we can have prejudgmental attitude towards yeah. our fellow being. That's a very good point that you make there, Nick. Uh, Ken, you had some thoughts for us as well. Yes, yeah, so one of the things about the story that comes across to me is the love his friends had for him. And I Absolutely. think that's an important thing yeah. as well. You, yeah. you see, we have these people and they arrive at the house and it's absolutely full of people, probably in the outside as well. Yes. And they're, they're so committed to their friend that they actually get up on the roof, take part of the roof out and lower them down through. And I think that's a, a showing of love for their friend. It is a fairly, a fairly radical thing to do, Ken. How would you like someone to pull the tiles off your roof and lower <laughs> someone down in front of you? Len, you had a thought for us too. Thank you. I had lots of thoughts. But, uh, lots of thoughts. I don't know if I can express them all. Uh, It's very interesting here, the last verse, where people made a comment. Yes. That we have never seen anything like this. Here, I believe, was Jesus demonstrating his divinity. Mm -hmm. People recognized it, perhaps not perhaps in terms of the fact that Jesus was both God and man. Yes. They saw that this was something very supernatural. They heard Jesus say to him, son, your sins are forgiven you. And, of course, the Jews reacted rather sharply 
But what they said was quite true. True. Give sin to God alone. These are mortal sins, I suppose you would say, moral sins. Yes. I can forgive sin, so can you. If I do something wrong against you and I ask forgiveness, you can forgive me. But this was a bigger issue than just that. This required the forgiveness that only God can give. Thank you, Len. That is a very good point. There's a couple of comments that I'm going to share in a minute on taken from the Mishnah. Um, Joe or um, Will, do you have any thoughts on this per- particular matter? Why the order in which uh, it is? Will, can you share with us? I think that we must remember that the uh, scribes and the Pharisees and perhaps a few others there doubted Jesus' ability yes. or his right to forgive sins. And uh, he said to them, he first forgave and then said, if uh, you're worried about my uh, my credibility to forgive sins, I want to say to you that this man should now arise get up and walk, uh, that will prove my power to forgive sins. I like the way, the order in which he did it. Yes, so do I, Will. Um, I think it's interesting because we all know as a panel that it would be comparatively easy to say to a person who's suffering a chronic illness, my friend, your sins are forgiven, but we don't have the power to heal them. What Christ is demonstrating is that he forgave his sins because of the thinking that was going on in the day, and we're going to get to that in a a minute. But the thinking in the day was that all sin is connected with disease, or all disease, rather, is connected with sin. And uh, he was demonstrating that I not only can forgive a person's sins, because if he'd stopped there and said, son, your sins are forgiven, uh, they would have said, yeah, yeah, here we go. Uh, But then when he said, get up, take your mat and go home, and he walked out in front of the lot of them, I think that would have been quite a revelation. Joe, do you have any thoughts on this one? Yes, it's interesting that um, Jesus chose to forgive him first, and I think that Jesus was addressing the primary need in this man's heart. Yes. You know, I think that I, I sense from the passage that had he stopped there, the man would have probably gone home cheerful, knowing that his sins had indeed been forgiven. I think perhaps he had a view of a, you know, um, eternal life was more important, his forgiveness of his sin more important than um, feeling well and strong and, and rejuvenated and healthy in this life. There's an interesting passage that uh, is in Desire of Ages, and I think it helps to explain some of it. It says, there are There are today thousands suffering from physical disease who, like the paralytic, are longing for the message, thy sins are forgiven. The burden of sin with its unrest and unsatisfied desires is the foundation of their maladies. They can find no relief until they come to the healer of the soul. The peace which he alone can give would impart vigor to the mind and health to the body. Powerful statement, isn't it? It is a powerful statement. And mm. and yet sometimes even when people come to the Lord, come to God, um, they struggle to accept that they've been forgiven because, after all, they don't feel any different. And like David, they say, my sin is ever before me. But in faith, we must grasp these promises in his word. And from the Amplified, if I might just quickly quote. No, no, goodbye um, all means. It says, and the one who comes to me, I will most certainly not cast out. I will never, never reject anyone who follows me. 
And we'll know also that John wrote, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Sometimes we may feel that our sins are too great, you know, and, uh, you know, we need we need God to help forgive us because sometimes we try and help God with self-flagellation, both physical, you know, as we know, and emotional. Uh, I think that to, to sum it up, we just have to believe that God can forgive. And um, even when we come to him, we may not feel any different. Uh, we may not even feel forgiven, but we must trust in the power of his word that what he says is so. Yes, and, yeah, um, Joe, and that is just, that's just so, so, so important. You asked the question, uh, why was the order, you know? Um, why the order, yes. Yeah, of forgiving sins and, you know, healing uh, this man. Yes. Yep. Keep in mind that Jesus came and, and the prophets said this, uh, he came to take away our sins. Yes. The primarily purpose of Jesus was to take away our sin. It was not to heal everyone on the planet Earth. And probably there were many people still sick after uh, that, you know. But even though the Bible says that in the regions where Jesus was passing through, there were not a sick man left behind, you know. But the primary thing was for Jesus to take away our sins. And I believe this was very important for him to address that thing first. Yes. Thank you, Nick. That's very good. Um, I'm going to tell you, Will, you had some thoughts for us. Uh, thank you, folk. Brent, enough. I had the choice of uh, healing or the assurance that my life is right with God. I would rather choose to be in a right relationship with God accept his or know his or be assured of his acceptance even though i continued to be ill the most important thing a good point thing, yeah. is a connection with god yes yes i agree ken did you have another thought for us i think well it's one of these things that we could actually keep going on and on and on about it it's just so amazing but i i liken it a bit to us being say a glass bottle that's that's not very clean inside and you're not going to put something really good in that bottle because it's unclean. And if, if you drink from that, you're going to be ill. So when Jesus comes along, he cleans the bottle first before something else goes into it. Yeah. Good thought. There is another question before I read a couple of comments. I've put in my notes here, while we personally do not have the power to forgive sins, we can point, the, uh, the the one who is suffering to one who does or who can. But then I've posed the question, and I'm interested in panel comments on this. How do you help someone when their prayers for physical healing are not answered? Will, in a degree, you have touched on that in your response, but any other thoughts from panel members? Have you ever worked with somebody who has their mind, um, shall we say, um, set upon physical healing. And I'm going to give you an example before you answer. I can remember, and I won't mention any names, but I can remember visiting um, when I was living in Adelaide, as most of you know, I used to do hospital chaplaincy work. Now, I went and visited a lady who was actually quite ill in the hospital. She'd had a stroke and whatever. 
And um, she was in, I don't know whether she was in the intensive care ward or whether she'd just come out of it into a general ward. But I said um, to her that, calling her by name, I'd like to have prayer with you. And you know what her response was? Don't bother. It's not working. Mm. Don't bother. It's not working. Len? Well, I know that when people are sick and we aid them in getting well, they are very grateful. And that's why doctors are amongst the world's most popular people. Yes. However, I did hear a statement once which said 70% of people who are committed to a lunatic asylum are there because they can't handle the guilt they have from committing sins. That's an interesting statistic, Lee. To me, that when a person is freed of the guilt of their sins through forgiveness of the Lord, a whole big issue is dealt with in the one blow. Yes. Are suffering guilt because they can't forgive themselves or they feel others can't forgive them and they receive forgiveness from God, it's like a big load is lifted off their back. Yeah, I believe so. Ken, you had some uh, thoughts for us as well. I think this is a, an incredibly difficult one because obviously people that are sick and perhaps even sick unto death, yes. uh, many of them obviously would like to get healed. And, of course, I'm sure all of us have, have come across such people and we can, for those that are non, those people that are sick and non-believers, as Len said a minute ago, many people are happy for you to pray with them, and other people uh, don't really care. Now, of course, I always try to put myself in the person's shoes, but this, of course, can be quite difficult because as believers, we see things from a different angle. But when I discuss these things with people, I I try to give them incidences in the Bible where we've had some very wonderful people who are doing absolutely amazing things for the Lord, and yet they never got healed of some of the problems they had. That's true, Ken, yeah. And uh, that's one thing I, I believe is important. The other thing, of course, is that I try to explain to people, look, unfortunately... If you're not healed from this illness, that's not the end of things because this world we're in is only a temporary thing and there's another world coming that Jesus is going to introduce and this is a forever world. Now, you do have the choice here and now of accepting Jesus and this pain will pass, but there's another uh, there's another thing coming which will be judgment. And this, unfortunately, if you're not with Jesus, is not going to be a good sign. So would it not be worthwhile looking into the things of the Lord and accepting Jesus and accepting if you die, it's not the end of things, but rather it's the seed of a new beginning? Um, Ken, that's a very interesting uh, comment. Would you agree with Will's second comment? Then uh, Will mentioned two things, physical healing and also being right with the Lord. In your view, do you believe that uh, the second one is more important, being right with the Lord, irrelevant or irrespective of whether you're healed or not physically? Yes, that's that's absolutely critical. Uh, uh, as we said before, there's, there's no use uh, if you're not 
right inside. There's no use with anything happening on the outside. It's yeah. just a temporary thing. Mm. Thank you. Let me share a couple of comments with you. These come from the Jewish Mishnah. The first comment is this. There is no death without sin and there is no suffering without iniquity. Now, these were the, this was the mindset that the people in Christ's day when this miracle that Len shared with us took place. The second point is a sick man does not recover from his sickness until all his sins are forgiven him. And the third one I found particularly interesting. God meters out punishment carefully. For example, in the measure with which a man measures, it is measured out to him. And they use several examples, but the one that I've chosen to highlight is simply Samson went after the desires of his eyes. In other words, Delilah, therefore the Philistines put out his eyes. Uh, do you think these statements, uh, panel, are always true? Or can you think of examples where they don't apply or haven't applied? Do you know of pe- people personally who these statements don't apply to? L- Lydia? I would like to say that... and. W- that we all know that God's original design did not include pain, suffering, uh, disease. And we know that sickness comes on this planet only with the entrance of sin. That's why God gives us health guidelines so that we can enjoy a better quality of life now. But as long as we are in this sin-sick world, there will be no guarantee of health, no matter how diligently we follow healthful uh, principles. The good news is that God can give us rest, his holy peace into our hearts, whether we are sick or healthy, whether our sickness is our own uh, doing or as a result of someone else's neglect. Uh, or our genes, or just a byproduct of living in this sinful world. God knows how to give us rest. God, he hears our prayers. And if, as that lady said, don't bother, God doesn't hear my prayers. Lydia, incidentally, that lady was a church member. Yes. Someone who believed in God. I'm not talking about an unbeliever. Yeah. So it means... She lost hope because, because God didn't answer her prayer in her time. God heals in his own time because God mm. knows. God is looking at the root. He's interested in our spiritual being to be restored first and starting from there, from the root. He needs us to have a new heart and from there starts everything. So we have to accept that God answers our praise in his own time the way he wants. And I can talk from one of my experience when I uh, had uh, big problems with my back and now I'm healed, but God healed me in his own time. But I got a, a, a promise from God in that time and he was saying, he gave me a text, my grace is sufficient for you. And I understood and I accepted and I thank God, yeah. thank you so much. Help me to wait for your answer in your uh, time. Legia, thank you for sharing that with us. Len, you had some uh, thoughts for us too. I wish to directly answer those three questions. I'm happy for you to do that, Len. The first was there's no death without sin and there's no suffering without iniquity. I think I tend to agree with that because 
the wages of sin is death. And so I would agree pretty much with the first one. The second one, a sick man does not recover from his sickness until all these sins are forgiven him. Well, I think I agree with that too, but in a perhaps a broader context than maybe how it was written. Mm-hmm. Thirdly, I disagree with God meters out punishment carefully. In other words, as That's what the Mishnah says, <laughs> as you have sinned, so you will be punished. No, I think it works exactly the other way. Although we may have sinned terribly, God will forgive us. And that punishment we escape from, although there will be consequences. I'm sorry, Lynn, but I, I don't agree with you on point no, two. No, that's okay. <laughs> um, that's fine. These are, these are challenging statements, Joe. I'm, I'm challenged absolutely. by them. Um, it, you know, a sick man does not recover from his sickness until all, until all his sins are forgiven him. Now, we have many examples of dictators and unbelievers who actually recover from their um, their illness. Um, and, of course, and then you have apparently God-fearing people who do not. And so this kind of statement only uh, exacerbates the suffering of someone who is sick already thinking, is there something that I haven't confessed or forsaken that is preventing my my healing? And yeah. they take it upon themselves to blame themselves. So, yeah, look, I find Self, it Self-flagellation, Joe. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Which only en- enhances their pain. Yes. Maybe the answer to Joe's uh, line is that God gives a chance to the person to come to him to recognize his sins, to ask for forgiveness. So God gives chances and chances to people for their recovery, for their inner healing. Yeah, that's, that's a good thought. Len, Len, you had some thoughts for us too. Thank you. Qualify, clarify. <laughs> that Joe has challenged me on, and <laughs> I believe the sickness is more than just physical sickness. Sure, sickness mm. is a spiritual, emotional, mental sickness that goes with it. So I was thinking of it in a broader context. Yes. Okay. Thank you, Len. I appreciate that. I want you to just think for a minute before we move on to our second um, person, uh, who is Elijah, and his needs were actually rather different from this one. Um, I want you to think of the person Job. We all know the story of Job. But Job actually said when he lost everything, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, I know that as you read through the book of Job, you find that when you, by the time you get to chapter three, it actually says something along the lines of, and Job cursed, Job cursed the day that he was born and said, I wished I'd never been born. Now we're going to touch on uh, something in, in a similar mindset in our next um, uh, person that we're looking at, but it's, I, I would make this comment and thank you everyone for your contributions. I I wonder sometimes when you get sick, you get sick for various reasons. You can get sick because of poor diet. You can get sick um, because you work in an environment which is conducive to making you ill. And I can think of um, a dear man who some of you know who has passed away who ended up with a mesophilioma. 
Now, he was one of my church members, and uh, to watch him go downhill was, to me, heartbreaking because he seemed to be going along for a while, and then all of a sudden it was almost as though he dropped off the cliff. He went downhill very, very quickly. Now, he worked in an environment. He worked in the Wyala shipyards, and he worked in other places where probably there was a lot of asbestos around the place, and he ended up with... Well, we commonly call it uh, asbestosis, but it's actually a mesophilioma. And um, as you look at these things, you, I believe, and I'm happy to be corrected by anyone on the panel on it, it's just my thoughts that I'm sharing with yourselves and with our listeners. You can do your head in trying to work out why you've got sick. And um, I think that uh, probably not a lot of value, not a lot of value in uh, going through, why did I get sick? What did I do that caused me to get sick? My mother-in-law grew all her own vegetables and her own fruit. My mother-in-law died of cancer. I know this is a bit raw for some people, but this is just the way life is. And um, Ligi, you did touch on the issue that um, we live in a world of sickness and suffering. But can I suggest to you, when you're dealing with the average person, giving them the answer, it's because we live in a world of sin and suffering, probably isn't really going to cut it as far as helping them goes. But thank you for your thoughts on this. I believe we won't really understand the subject of sin and suffering until we meet our Saviour. And I'm looking forward to that day because I've got questions that I want answered as well. (laughs) And I guess we all have. Sometime, the way God act and uh, heal or not is because he knows in the future not only for the present time i i um witnessed something just recently a dear lady who gave her life to jesus but because of listening to programs like this yes she got very sick and she was in the hospital for 60 days she had a breakdown She was just hating herself and everybody. She will say only bad words because she didn't realize what she was saying. And uh, for 60 days, we commit ourselves to visit her her regularly. And the other night, she came back and she's healed. We We prayed for this and God answered. But in meantime, for those 60 days, her family was exposed to the this miracle which will which came later on and have all questions in their mind and maybe they were search in their hearts who knows what and why that's that's why probably for us is very premature i i think to just judge on the things that okay this doesn't happen right now or why why god is not answering our prayer or why because God knows better why. And if we trust in him fully, like this uh, uh, sick man, he trusted in God. He didn't expect to happen the things as it, it happened, but he trusted in God. And that's what we need to do, allow God to do his work in our life. Yeah, good thought. Um, anyway, we're looking at Elijah as our next uh, subject, and time is uh, starting to become precious. Uh, Will, I wondered if you could summarise the situation in 1 Kings 18 for us, and then I'm going to get Ken to either read 1 Kings 19, verse 1 to 8, or comment on some key sections of it. Thank you, Will. 
The events described in the life of the prophet Elijah in uh, 1 Kings 18 are so numerous that uh, I'll, have to <laughs> sketch, I'll have to sketch things with very broad brushstrokes. In short, the whole nation, especially its monarchs, uh, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, were focused on finding the prophet Elijah, who had decreed a three-and-a-half-year drought on the land, according to uh, Luke and James. Things were so desperate now that the king was traversing the barren wastes looking for him and for grass for the animals. Finding, uh, finding him would swell certain death to the prophet, of course. But the palace administrator, Obadiah, himself a God-fearing man, was also on the search when he was surprisingly approached by the fugitive prophet. Elijah requested that he go and tell the king that he wanted to speak to him. Understandably, Obadiah was not keen to run off with a message in case Elijah wasn't there when he returned with Ahab, in case the king's wrath turned on him and he was killed for false reporting. But after some assurances, Obadiah returns with the king, meeting him in an isolated place. Elijah challenges the king to gather all the pagan priests and all the people of Israel to meet him on Mount Carmel, build two altars, and there they would test which God was the true God. I'd like to read 1 Kings 18, verses 23 and 24. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and Let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but do not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. That is the key statement. The God who answers by fire, he is God. The pagan prophets of Baal dance around with all their incantations, summoning Baal to show his power, but there is no response. The frenzy of the priests took on a new level until they were dancing on the altar and cutting themselves with knives and lancets to show that their God, to their God that their blood and possibly their willingness to die for him was, was on the cards. And die they would, of course, uh, following the dramatic confrontation with the God on heaven, of heaven on the on the mount. By this time, the pagan priests were subjected to a mocking challenge by the prophet of the Lord. At verse twenty-seven, it says, "At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder!" He said, "Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is in deep in thought, or busy, or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened." But the exhausted priests wailed and performed until they give Elijah his turn, calling the entire gathering to draw closer to him. The prophet quietly and confidently rebuilds the altar of the Lord. A bullock was placed on it, and Elijah summons them to douse it with four large jars of water. Then they repeat it until 12 jars of water have soaked the altar and uh, the altar of sacrifice and the trench around the altar. Then Elijah prays at the very time of the evening sacrifice, uh, the time that Jesus would die on Calvary years later. 
And the, the Bible goes on from verse 36 and says, At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are the God in Israel, and I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. And the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil. In fact, the whole altar, and even licked up the water in the trench. When the people saw this, the Bible says, they fell prostrate and cried, Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The whole encounter ends, Brenton, when the false prophets of Baal are seized and slain. And once again, Elijah bows to pray. This time he prays for rain to break the drought. And verse 45 and 46 says, Meanwhile, the sky blew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he rang ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Thank you. The distance, incidentally, for those who like um, these types of things, is round about 32 kilometres. He's had a pretty big day, and he finishes it off by a 32-kilometre run in front of the uh, chariot of Ahab. Ken, uh, in First Kings 19, verse 1 to 8, though, we find a very different thing. Jezebel comes along, uh, or she sends a messenger to him and says, you killed my prophets. By this time tomorrow, I'm going to kill you. What happens, Ken? Maybe you could summarise for us or just read a couple of verses from First Kings 19, verse 1 to 8. Well, I think as we're uh, running out of time, I'll uh, I'll summarise. Is basically no, as no, she that's says, fine. <laughs> basically as she said, uh, Jezebel had sent a messenger to Elijah, and she was really irate because all the prophets of Baal had been killed on the mountain, and she said she was going to make sure that Elijah was put to death as well. Now, you know, try to picture this: Elijah has come back from Mount Carmel, where God has done these miraculous things in front of possibly thousands of people, definitely hundreds of people, but possibly thousands. But Elijah, for some reason, seems to have, I believe, lost faith in the Lord for some reason, and he's afraid for his life. And so he decides, well, I'm I'm getting out of here. So he bolts down and flees down to to Horeb and hides himself there. And uh, he's thinking to himself, well, this is the end of me. And he actually praise the Lord to take his life because he says, I, I've had enough, Lord, I'm tired, and uh, I just, uh, I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lays down under a bush and goes to sleep, and then all of a sudden an angel appears and tells him to wake up and uh, eat food. Elijah thinks, well, eat food? What do you mean? He looks around and there's food and water prepared for him, yes. and he eats this, and then after eating that, he goes to sleep again. And the angel wakes him up again and says, look, you've got to eat more because you've got a journey to take. So basically, this is where he eats again. And then he goes and he travels for 40 days and 40 nights until he reaches the the mountain of the Lord. And there he goes into a cave and spends the night there. So here we have a great prophet of the Lord 
who had uh, witnessed uh, miraculous things of God. And yet at this particular time, he seems to have lost faith in the Lord. And I think it's not an uncommon thing because we're all human. Yeah, thank you, Ken. That summarises it pretty well. Um, Many people have speculated as to whether he was um, uh, depressed or not. I think he probably was. I think he was depressed for a number of reasons. Number one, I think he was hoping that Jezebel's spell over Ahab would have been broken as a result of this miracle, because obviously Ahab told Jezebel what had happened when he got back to Jezreel. Number two, I think he was hoping for, shall we say, a more instant um, reformation of the the people of Israel. But um, because of time, I'm going to move on a bit uh, quickly. God had a solution. Lydia, from verses 5 to 7, Ken has touched on it. Are these good solutions that God has offered to him? What is um, Elijah's state at the moment? He's emotionally exhausted. He's physically exhausted. Do you know how far he's actually travelled? He's travelled about 155 kilometres from Jezreel down to the desert where he wishes that he could die. How did he get there? It wasn't by motorbike or car. He got there, he had to walk or run. He probably travelled by day and night. He is done. We would say today he is physically and emotionally spent. Do you think, um, Lydia, that uh, the solutions God offered, sending an angel with food and water and rest, uh, were totally appropriate for the situation that Elijah finds himself in. I think God has a different open door for him. So he ran away to the Mount of Horeb where God yes. was living and he wanted to meet God. And um, to me, it's um, it struck me this question when God asked him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And God asked yes. him twice, two times asked him. So... Um, the Lord guided him and said, go up to the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. So a wind, a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in that wind. And after that beca- uh, came an earthquake and the Lord was not in that earthquake. But after the earthquake came a fire and the Lord was not in that fire. But after the fire came a gentle whisper and the the voice of the Lord asked him again, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied the second time after the second question, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down the altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me, too. And the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Wow, go back the way you came. After I ran for such a long time and I'm exhausted, why did I run away? I ran away because I didn't like that things were going. I wanted differently, as you said, Brenton, but Mm. was not. And God said, go back the way you came. Wow, maybe God tells us again to us also, go back the way you came. You went in the wrong way. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, Lydia. But no, notice one thing, Ben, uh, our time is now sh- very, very short. And notice this particular point. God doesn't, um, shall we say, call him out. He simply asks him the question, what are you doing here? Yeah. Where are you meant to be? Yeah. You're not meant to be down here in a cave. Yeah. You're meant to be back in Israel uh, mm-hmm. undertaking the Reformation. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting thought. But, 
I think the fact that God provided food, water and rest, they were the things that he needed right then and there. And as we consider consider the subject of entering rest, um, sometimes when we are emotionally het up, our physical life suffers. Our eating and our drinking is affected. Our sleep is most assuredly affected. And God knew that he needed all of these things before he could reason with him. I believe Elijah was in an unreasonable state when he first said, uh, I've been very zealous for the Lord God. But the second time, I think his petulant spirit had been quieted fairly significantly. What I want to say uh, here just very quickly, we can either be captives of sin and circumstances or give ourselves to God, yes. trust God, allow God to work in our life his way. Now, Elijah, he had a amazing experience on the Mount Carmel. And as Lija just said, that even when God approached him, God said, go back. Why? Because he was now in a position of staying strong for God because God revealed himself. Even the people uh, of Israel who were before um, serving Baal and do other things, they were convinced of uh, who God is. But he's now running away instead of staying there where God called him to be. Now, we can be today in a very difficult situation when everything was going on in this world today. Are yeah. we standing for God today in these difficult times? Yeah. Or are we captives of the circumstances and maybe the weaknesses which are in us? Or are we giving ourselves to God and allow him to really lift us up and yeah. do the work he prepared? Yes. For us yeah, that's, Nick, that's a very good thought. God knows our weaknesses. Um, as we've discovered, the paralytic knew his. He was completely helpless and unable to do anything for himself. He was totally dependent on his friends to take him to the great physician. Elijah, I believe, uh, in the story we've discussed so far, Elijah discovered his extremities when Jezebel threatened his life. Um, he lost his hold on God and ran for his life. Now, here's a thought. Did God forsake Elijah in his hour of trial? Question mark. Oh, no. He loved his servant no less when Elijah felt himself forsaken of God and man than when fire flashed from heaven and illuminated the mountaintop. I think that's a very uh, relevant point. He is just as willing, that's God, to forgive us or willing to give us this rest that Elijah had when his spirit was quieted. We need to rest in his love, safe and secure. I wonder if someone could read for me Isaiah 30, verse 15 to close. Isaiah 30 and verse 15. I think it's a very good one to finish our study for today. Well, thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. Isn't that a, a good statement, Will? Wonderful. Yeah. It's, the secret, it's the secret of peace with God. Thank you, everybody. As we close um, our takeaway message, I believe Isaiah thirty fifteen is something that we've learnt. The paralytic understood that he had been forgiven of his sins and he was healed spirit, uh, physically and spiritually. And Elijah understood that God still had a work for him to do. He wasn't abandoned by God. 
Len, I wondered if you would close with prayer for us, please. Would you like to join us in the prayer, listeners? Dear Father in heaven, today we've been studying about two biblical characters who found rest. Firstly, the paralytic from his um, uh, physical condition, but also his spiritual condition. And he could go away rejoicing. And also Elijah, one of your servants who felt tired and worn out, but you revived him and you cared for him. And, Lord, we know that you care for each one of us, not just the panel members, but everybody who's listening to this broadcast today. I pray that you'll be with them and bless them. And may they, they find their peace and rest in you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, everyone, for your participation today. This was uh, something important to understand that we can be free to rest only in Jesus. He's the author of uh, our rest. But we are going to learn a little bit more next time about the rhythms of rest. Because rest is not something once and forever. We are going to learn how can we find rest in a rhythm aspect every week. I will invite you to join us again next time. Until then, may God richly bless you and have a wonderful walk with Jesus.